Chapter 13 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. Chapter 13 The Day Things Went Wrong. No scientific explanation has ever been propounded of the days when everything goes wrong. Those who hold that the conjunction of certain planets exerts a baleful influence on human destiny have the satisfaction of offering a solution for a universally recognized phenomenon which the great majority of mankind frankly accept as a riddle without an answer. The catastrophes of this day of ill omen began when the furnace fire went out. As far as one could see, there was no possible reason why it should have gone out on this particular morning more than on any other. Indeed, Jimmy declared that the previous evening he had coaled up lavishly because of the weather bureau's warning that during the night the thermometer would approximate zero. The checks had been left as usual, but the fire, which any other night would have done its duty inobtrusively and been bright and cheerful in the morning, took it on itself to start the program of the day's disasters. Deliberately, it went out. And as the furnace man, who served a dozen families or more, reached the Pendletons about half past nine, Jimmy had the pleasure of building the fire while Pollyanna, wearing galoshes and mittens, in addition to her conventional house costume, took an inventory of the water pipes to make sure none were frozen. Nancy, distracted by the prevalent excitement, had bad luck with her muffins, but this did not matter so much since Jimmy, after finishing with the furnace, was in too great a hurry to spend much time on breakfast. Nancy always let jigs out for his morning run as soon as he came downstairs and since aunt polly's departure he had been called into the house in time to share the sociability of the family breakfast but on this ill-starred morning jigs was forgotten and when he discovered his master starting for the train he evidently resolved to take steps against the repetition of such neglect for so young a dog Jiggs conducted himself with remarkable discretion. Had he followed his impulses, he would have rushed up to Jimmy and expressed his delight at seeing him again after the long separation of the night. But Jiggs did nothing of the sort. On the contrary, he trotted along at a safe distance in the rear, and fortune favored him, as Jimmy, being in a tremendous hurry, did not once look back. In fact, he reached the station just in time to join the line of commuters who were climbing aboard the express. Jiggs came up at the moment when the conductor turned his head, and he hopped up the steps at the end of the line without being noticed by anyone. He entered the coach, through whose doors he had seen Jimmy disappear, and then the brakeman slammed the door shut and the train started. The interior of the railway coach did not impress Jiggs favorably. All the seats were occupied, the male sex predominating, and all the passengers were absorbed in newspapers or other forms of literature. 
Giggs was not easily daunted, but the indifference of this unusual crowd, together with the motion of the train, exerted a chilling influence on his blithe spirits. Jiggs started slowly down the aisle, sniffing audibly as he sought his master. Still, no one noticed him, and presently he approached a seat occupied by a young woman reading a magazine. It is possible that she reminded him of his mistress, and, in the prospect of encountering Pollyanna in this unsympathetic environment, Jig's spirits regained something of their customary buoyancy. Catching a sight of a generous expanse of tan silk stocking, he paused and sniffed inquiringly. And then, his attention attracted by a large and showy buckle on a pump, pleasing in itself, though quite unsuited to a cold winter's day, he tested the glittering object cautiously with his tongue. The young woman, who is described sufficiently by the statement that she was absorbed in a movie magazine, gradually became aware of something unusual. She looked up from the thrilling pages containing the biography of a screen star and saw a small but compact bulldog closely examining her footgear. Being the sort of young woman she was, she naturally supposed he was looking for the best place on which to demonstrate the effectiveness of that famous bulldog grip. She uttered a blood-curdling shriek and leaped nimbly up on the seat, drawing her skirts down as far as she possibly could over the tempting silk stockings. Her seatmate, yielding to the contagion of her panic, addressed Jake's in peremptory command. Here, you, lie down, lie down, I say. The commuters woke up to the realization that something was happening. Papers were lowered, and everyone looked to see the cause of the excitement. Someone exclaimed, dog. And a nervous woman, with a genius for putting the worst construction on everything, cried, mad dog. And there was a general stir. A pasty-faced man a few seats back of the young woman whom Jiggs had singled out as the recipient of his attention wanted to know what the devil the conductor was about. Quite oblivious to the sensation he was creating, Jiggs focused his attention on the tan stockings. He was not accustomed to seeing people stand on upholstered seats, and it seemed natural to assume that the motive behind the action, so unusual, must be playful. Wagging his tail understandingly, Jig stood on his hind legs and made a lunge for the end of a dangling ribbon. The young woman screamed again, and this time a score of voices chimed in. Noise always excited Jiggs. He barked lustily, still wagging his tail, and then Jimmy, who had taken the very front seat in the coach, stood up and looked around to learn what was happening. The scene needed no interpreter, but the sight of the rapidly vibrating tail made it sufficiently clear that the young woman's alarm was groundless. Jimmy stepped into the aisle and strode toward the scene of disturbance. The little brindled dog had a familiar aspect, but even as he grasped his collar, Jimmy had no idea that he had any personal responsibility in the case. Don't be frightened, he encouraged the young woman who was verging on hysterics. He's just a pup and playful. At the sound of his master's voice, Jiggs uttered a yelp of ecstasy and turned his attention to Jimmy. And the woman who had first said, Mad dog, 
mistook the nature of Jiggs's demonstrations and cried, Merciful heavens, the poor fellow will be killed. Jimmy, after a moment of incredulity, realized the truth. Jiggs's delight proved his identity without the corroborative testimony of his Christmas caller. Jiggs, you scoundrel, how did you get here? Jimmy lifted the dog in his arms and Jiggs licked his ear with such vehemence as to knock his hat into the aisle, whining his regret over his inability to express his rapture more plainly. And then the conductor appeared with his familiar tickets, please, which at the sight of Jimmy and his charge changed to no dogs allowed. I know they're not, said Jimmy. Hadn't you better stop the train and put me off? It would be a great convenience. As the conductor refused to take this drastic action, Jimmy held Jiggs in his arms until they reached the city, and then, after considerable discussion and some generous tipping, arranged for Jiggs to be cared for in the baggage room. Telephoning Pollyanna in regard to Jiggs' whereabouts took time, and Jimmy went to the office nearly an hour late. But on such a day, anything was to be expected. In the meantime, Pollyanna was having troubles of her own. For while she was busy with the baby, Junior playfully called Sin's attention to the syrup jug. Mistaking it for the cream pitcher, Sin mewed loudly. And Junior, vastly entertained, held it closer and made a feint of pouring the contents into Sin's saucer. But when Sin rapturously rubbed against the boy's hand, Junior's fingers relaxed their hold. The content of the syrup jug deluged Sin, who forthwith started upstairs on the run, leaving a long, long trail of sticky sweetness. There was only one thing to do with the frantic cat. Despite the chill of the morning, a bath was imperative. And when Pollyanna finished the, a most difficult task, Sin's altered aspect so agitated Judy that she wept loudly and refused to be comforted. I don't like brother anymore, she sobbed, cause he spoiled my nice kitty. When the excitement had quieted sufficiently for them to remember Jiggs, he failed to respond to their summons and Pollyanna was just putting on her wraps to go in search of him when the telephone rang. It was Jimmy announcing that Jiggs would spend the day in town and accompany him home on the quarter-past-five train. Nancy sighed when Pollyanna told her the news. Well, I hope you don't get killed before it gets back. There's days, Miss Pollyanna, that get started wrong, and they stay wrong in spite of everything a body can do. I feel it in my bones that this is that kind of day. I do, I do. Pollyanna, mentally reviewing the activities of the morning, took a more hopeful view. I believe our ill luck is over for the day, Nancy. And anyway, we can be glad that the pipes didn't burst. The next few hours were peaceful enough to confirm Pollyanna's hope that the evil spell put upon the day had been lifted. But with Junior's return from school, the trouble was renewed. Junior was in an unusually mischievous, not to say naughty, mood. He chased Sin, who, although restored to his usual sleekness, had not forgotten the events of the morning and fled precipitately at the sight of his young master. 
He teased the baby, holding her toys just out of reach, until she shrieked an enraged, if inarticulate, protest. As a rule, Junior and Judy played together as amicably as two lively children could be expected to do. But on this fateful day, they quarreled till at last, after repeated reproofs, Pollyanna resolved on more stringent measures. Since my little boy and girl can't play together pleasantly, they will have to be separated. It is a pity when Jiggs never growls at Sin and Sin never scratches Jiggs that Junior and Judy quarrel. But since it is so, Judy will have to play in the nursery and Junior out of doors. I want to go out of doors, Mother, Judy exclaimed, dropping her doll and scrambling to her feet. Pollyanna was firm. No, Judy, if you quarrel in the house, I can't trust you out of doors together where I can't see and hear. If I see by tomorrow afternoon that you have turned over a new leaf, I may trust you to play together again, but not today. Feeling much aggrieved, as is the way of wrongdoers, Junior donned his overcoat and betook himself to the backyard, while Judy wept noisily, and the baby, stirred to sympathy by her sister's tears, also lifted up her voice in lamentation. And then Nancy came up to say that the meat hadn't come, and would Miss Pollyanna please telephone the butcher that she must have it not a minute later than half-past three. It was after another deceitful lull that Pollyanna, deciding that Junior had been out of doors long enough for so cold a day, went to summon him indoors. No Junior was in sight, but in the next yard, Jack Horner was constructing a snow fort with the assistance of several of the young hunts. Catching sight of Pollyanna, Jack called, You looking for Junior, Mrs. Pendleton? Yes, Jack. Please tell him it's time for him to come in. He ain't here, Jack's tone showed the suppressed elation characteristic of those who know they bring tidings of ill. He's gone down to Philip Lloyd's house to play with him. To Philip's house? Pollyanna could hardly believe her ears. Yes, am I told him not to, explained Jack virtuously. I said you wouldn't like it, and he said it was none of my business. Pollyanna withdrew, much annoyed. The children were never allowed to leave the premises without permission, and while Junior had not been forbidden to play with Philip, accompanying him to his home was a flagrant defiance of authority. Her lips, tightening in a fashion that showed the streak of steel under her gentleness, Pollyanna donned her wraps and made her way to the corner. Before the house, she hesitated, looking up and down the street in search of her missing son. But there was no sign of Junior, and as Jack Horner's information was all she had to guide her in her search, it seemed the sensible course to put its correctness to the test. Pollyanna mounted the steps quickly and rang the bell. She had vaguely expected that a servant would answer the summons, but the opening door revealed unmistakably the mistress of the house, and her manner impressed Pollyanna as rather defiant. She was a large woman, still handsome, but probably looking rather older than her years because of her patent reliance on art to supplement her fading charms. But her makeup, skillfully as it was applied, could not hide the fretful lines about her mouth, and the eyes that stared at Pollyanna were windows through which discontent and resentment 
gazed out upon the world. Good afternoon, Pollyanna said. I'm looking for my little boy, Junior Pendleton. He seems to have disappeared, and I wonder if he's here. Apparently, Philip's mother found this pleasantness disarming. Please come in, she said, and I'll see. As Pollyanna complied, she continued affectedly. This is my cook's afternoon out, and at present, I haven't a maid. So if the bell is to be answered, I have to do it myself. The servant problem is something fierce. I suppose it is, said Pollyanna amiably. I am very fortunate in having a dear woman who worked for my aunt when I was a little girl. She was quite aware that Mrs. Lloyd would like to detain her so as to give a chance passerby the impression that Mrs. Pendleton had been calling. Pollyanna was less resentful than she might have been because she found herself extremely sorry for this woman who so plainly was of the temperament always to be dissatisfied with the present and to hope impossible things for the future. Won't you sit down, Mrs. Lloyd urged with a rather pathetic eagerness. There's a little boy upstairs with Philip. I didn't know who it was. Philip brings in so many children, but I never interfere. An only child has to get his company where he can, I say. Pollyanna passed over this obvious untruth as she replied, Yes, an only child is likely to get lonely. I'm sometimes sorry we bought here, Mrs. Lloyd continued. The neighborhood isn't what I expected. I don't say they're not nice enough people, but it's not the sort of society I've been used to. Mr. Lloyd and I sometimes talk of selling this place and taking an apartment in town. You could do that better than I, said Pollyanna. Three children are too much for an apartment. She added gently, that reminds me, I have left two of them at home, and Nancy is busy with dinner, so if you'll see whether Junior is here or not. Philip, Mrs. Lloyd called in the wheedling voice that invariably impresses the listener as amiability assumed for the occasion. Philip, Mama wants you, dear. There was a sound of hurrying feet overhead, and a door opened. What do you want? asked a suspicious voice. Philip, what little boy do you have up there? Junior Pendleton. Well, tell Junior his mama is down here and she wants him to come home. You'll have to finish your play another afternoon. The two boys came clattering down the stairs together, Junior unusually subdued, and Philip casting furtive glances at the occupant of the easy chair in the front room. Pollyanna noticed that, as Philip's mother placed her hand on his shoulder, the boy drew back, eyeing her with evident distrust. It was clear that the mother was doing her best to make a favorable impression. As Pollyanna helped a very silent Junior into his overcoat, Mrs. Lloyd said affably, Let Junior run in any time, Mrs. Pendleton. The house is big, and the noise of children at play doesn't disturb me. Even though Pollyanna had no intention of accepting the invitation, there was no lack of cordiality in her thanks. The woman, striving to keep up appearances before a stranger, seemed as pathetic a figure as the lonely child. When Jimmy and Jiggs reached home, Junior and Judy were both in bed, Junior expiating the numerous sins of the day 
Judy for meddling with her mother's inkwell contrary to orders and ruining a new frock and a small but rather expensive rug. The baby was fretful, and Pollyanna thought she had a tooth on the way. Since the events of the morning, Sin was in a highly nervous state, and Jig sneezed twice during the evening, awakening his mistress's apprehension that he had contracted distemper when he was away from home. I suppose, teased Jimmy, as Pollyanna finished recounting her share of the day's misadventures, that even today you've found something to be glad about. Indeed I have, Pollyanna cried. I'm glad, gladder, gladdest that Aunt Polly was safe at Palm Beach before this day happened. End of chapter 13